when you are a leader of people, whether that's in a management role or you're influencing a number of individuals, it really does mean that you have to think a little bit differently. Missteps was pushing the envelope a little bit too much. I think I just should have given it a little bit more time. Do you believe that circumstance plays a huge role in how, how your career journey is shaped? If you really would like to be in an executive role, as an example, then you have to put yourself into some of those situations. I have had many significant challenges. Have I ever been let go of a job? Yes. And those were challenging. And to be honest, it's happened to me eight times in my career. You were comfortable and when you were forced to change roles, what we're hearing today is this company is laying off and that company is laying off and there's like you said the talk of a big recession hitting the u.s at least this is a field that is growing enormously just in the u.s itself there are 700,000 open positions in general i think you'll be employed forever if you're if you are in that field it's not going anywhere for 20 years been doing cybersecurity, but we really didn't call it cybersecurity at the beginning. I know in my generation, people have been doing big data for all these while until people ended up calling big data, big data or data science, data science, when literature for data science and AI ended up being written back in the 50s and 60s. How much of data privacy should you be entitled to? It's my choice to turn on location and or tracking mechanisms for each of the applications that I use. Hi, everyone. We are back again with episode two of season two of the EITF project. In this episode, we interview Anne Kulum. Anne is a very unique addition to EITF. I met Anne when I went to the Women in Tech conference in Boston in 2022. Anne was the keynote speaker and her speech had us all transfixed. Once her keynote was over, I had to meet her. She had limited time to talk at the conference and I felt like she had a lot more to say about the tech industry and what better place to do that than EITF. Anne has had a long career in the tech industry, so her answers to our questions on the EITF project are drawn from a lot of experience. Karthik and I are now going to introduce her career to you. So Anne started out in the tech industry with a job as a program manager at Microsoft for email gateways and APIs. And this was back in the early 90s. And she met Bill Gates in the monthly reviews for a major project. And what we know as Outlook email today was the product that she was working on. And since then, she launched herself into the world of tech leadership uh, and has held numerous leadership positions. Soon after her tenure at Microsoft, she founded Cyplan Systems, a company focused on delivering and launching tech products to worldwide markets. 
In 2006, she spent five years as a SIP evangelist, then global video and collaboration at Avaya. She then worked for Intralinks as the director of the information security programs and ISO for EMEA and APAC. In 2020, she took the role of the head of data protection and cybersecurity at MassMutual. She currently is the principal security and privacy advisor to CISOs, CIOs, and DPOs at Amazon Web Services. All right. Do you notice anything here? We think we see a trend. Anne has been at the forefront of creating the technology that we think of ubiquitous today. Another important thing to notice about her career journey is that Anne has always found a way to work on technology that is leading the industry typically way beyond our time. She finds projects that are up and coming and not just within her company, but within the tech world itself. Let's talk about the interview now. In today's world, where the hashtag layoffs is trending, this interview is a refreshing one. What struck a chord with us is that this interview shows constant positivity. For a lot of us who are watching the news via LinkedIn, it may not look great, but Anne says that it is the exact opposite. She asks our audience to equip ourselves with skills that technology needs today, rather than skills that a specific role requires. She speaks passionately about cybersecurity and data protection, which are undoubtedly excellent skills to have in today's world. Nandini and I initially felt like the industry was closing in around us by reducing the number of positions available. But after this interview, we feel like there are a lot of positions available if we just look in the right place. This is a very interesting and informative interview about the tech world from the eyes of someone who has seen the evolution of tech firsthand. It was an eye-opening conversation for us and we are sure it will be for you as well. Enjoy, and as usual, leave us your comments. Hi, everyone. Today, we have a very, very special guest for you guys. We have Anne Coulomb from AWS. Anne and I met at the Women in Tech Conference in Boston, and she gave such an inspiring speech to our audience that I really wanted, wanted her to talk to our EITF audience members as well. Thank you for joining us, Anne. Oh, it's my pleasure. Happy to be here. Uh, I'm going to dive right into the first question. So, Anne, what was your uh, first achievement at work? And what was your first misstep at work? And what did you learn from either one? Well, that takes me right back to the very early years of working in terms of success and missteps. So one of my first jobs was actually at a summer camp working with at-risk children. And so to me, that was a fantastic way of giving back to the community, even when I was very, very young. But at the same time, if you think about missteps, missteps was pushing the envelope a little bit too much in terms of wanting to change some work processes. And so I think I just should have given it a little bit more time uh, before I actually jumped right in and suggested change. Although that didn't stop me for the rest of my career, because that is you know, it's a hallmark of being able to look at what's happening and how can we become better? You know, how can we keep evolving and make sure that we're doing things properly? You know, it's great that you just mentioned 
that you were always thinking about processes. One of our previous experts, when he spoke about management and what it meant to, you know, make that transition from being an individual contributor to a manager, he said that it's important to change the way that you think rather than bettering the way that you do things. Uh, it's important to start thinking about process and start thinking about how you can make processes better. And it looks like you started very young as a manager. Well, and I think that's a, a great comment. When you are a leader of people, whether that's in a management role or you're influencing a number of individuals, it really does mean that you have to think a little bit differently. You're really trying to involve everyone, make it comfortable for them and really push some ideas forward at speed. Now, certainly it's much better to leverage, you know, one to many rather than just the individual contributor, but that also is a skill set. Whereas individual contributors are fantastic at what they do, but perhaps in a more constrained or directive environment. But both are great and we need people of all kinds. What was the most significant challenge you faced during the growth of your career? I have had many significant challenges in the growth of my career. And so to really say just one, I think is not appropriate. But what I will share is that oftentimes the hardest moments were the largest growth moments. So have I ever been let go of a job? Yes. And those were challenging. And to be honest, it's happened to me eight times in my career. And the first time it's like, oh, this is bad. You know, so I'm not sure if, if I'll ever be able to work properly again. And I realized it was an opportunity to grow into a new role. And so to take my skill sets and expand. So it's always been an opportunity to do more. And it's also a forced change. Now, some people love change. They adore change. And for some, it's a little bit more difficult. And I find that when there's change, it's the opportunity to grow more. And one of the things I will share is my career is very nonlinear. And what that means is these opportunities for change meant that I could go and try something new. So yeah. one year it was more business, then it was more marketing, then it was really technology. So I was also the head of engineering for a while. I was the head of APIs for a while. And so these were opportunities to grow through my career. And then realizing that for 20 years, I had been doing cybersecurity, but we really didn't call it cybersecurity at the beginning. So the last 10 years of my career have been more about taking all those wide and very broad knowledge areas that I have and bringing those together. And that, back to your question, was because there were changes. And because there were the opportunity to grow because there were challenges. And so I look at this very positively. It's interesting you bring the whole nonlinear trajectory path because in our previous interviews, we did have one of our experts say how she believed in nonlinear growth and what, mm -hmm. how you start latching on to opportunities that end up being presented to you and then you use them as a ladder to step up. And, and it's also interesting you talk about cybersecurity for 20 years without it being called it. I know in my generation, people have been doing big data for all these while until people end up calling big data, big data or data science, data science, when literature for data science and AI ended up being written back in the 50s and 60s and we just left mm -hmm. it or got written back then. I really started with mainframe computers. That was the first time you could 
actually put lots of data in one place. So as computers become cheaper, I think big data has just become way more a reality than just a concept overall. Mm -hmm. You know, I liked one thing about your answer where you said like you were comfortable and when you were forced to change roles. That leads into my next question is how do you uh, make a new role or a new project yours? What is your process, right? Even in existing companies, I mean, you don't have to move companies to be taken out of your comfort zone sometimes, right? And you're mm -hmm. uh, transferred into a new project or a new department owing to the interests of the organization, right? So when you, when you are put in a situation like that where you're given a new project or you're in a new company, how do you make that role your own? What is your process? So the first part for me is establishing what I'd like to learn or what I'd like to add to my skills. So I've had a very large bucket list and every once in a while, little pieces and parts of this bucket list are available to me. So that's the first thing. There's nothing better than planned unplanning. In other words, you already know where you'd like to go, but it could be very broad. So that's the first thing. The second one is be open. So open to new understanding, a new way of thinking, not assuming that you really understand everything about a new role or even a new area. And that's part of the fun, which is being able to go for that journey and really evolve and learn as you go forward. And the third one is to make sure you have a feedback loop. So that feedback loop is to yourself, but it's also to the people around you saying, hey, I've learned this piece, what's next? Or I've learned this, where was it on the journey? And when you add all of those together, that to me are really the three fundamental things that you need in any kind of new role. And if I'd leave you with one thought, which is just be open. Yeah, I think it eventually comes down to how much risk potential do you have in taking and larger the risk, larger the reward that you end up getting out of it. Eventually, that's what I've taken away when I've been a little hesitant, but I've been pushed into something. The reward that came out of it was, it felt good afterwards. You know, that's a, that's a really good point that you raised that, you know, you need the, sometimes you need to be pushed, right? To realize your own potential. We hear a lot these days that, you know, circumstance plays a big role in how your career journey is shaped, right? So do you believe that circumstance plays a huge role in how how your career journey is shaped and how you take that next step in your career. And to add on to that, I think, in short, being at the right place at the right time. At the right time. There is certainly an element of circumstance or right opportunity at the right moment, but some of those opportunities are planned. In other words, if you really would like to be in an executive role, as an example, then you have to put yourself into some of those situations. And that means going out, networking, going to certain events, being able to reach out and ask questions of people who may be in different roles. So that opportunity, yes, may present itself and you may think it's very you know, opportunistic or serendipity, but you've also made it because you've planted those seeds and you've been in some form of position to then be able to meet those individuals. And of course, there are always the stories of, you know, I met somebody or CEO on public transportation and had a great conversation, but it still meant that somebody started that conversation. Either you did or 
they did. So somebody was open to the possibility of something new. And so I do think that things come to those who are open to them. So if you've invited the opportunities or the world and say, hey, you know, I'm ready. Something can happen and this could be kind of fun. Then something will. But that means you've already started your journey and you've thought about it. I know we can get philosophical. Changing tracks, you are an industry veteran. You've seen industry go up and down, a bunch of recession and all of that. Uh, how do you see the industry shaping post-pandemic, right? Because pandemic is now proving to be a decisive factor in recent times in the way the tech and the financial world will eventually shape up. So a two-pronged question. The first question is, how is the workforce going to adapt to it? And second, how are you looking at organizations, be it both in tech and financial, adapting to the post-pandemic way of operations? So those are very large questions. Let me take maybe a, a slightly narrower view. I think that post-pandemic, for those who are in technology-oriented jobs, cybersecurity jobs, big data, and even a portion of financial services, the work from home or work remote is here to stay. I don't think we will ever be back in the office five days a week. I think we'll be in the office a portion of the week. And that is still good to have that human interaction and teamwork and cooperation. But also the teams themselves are everywhere. I mean, geographically, we are far more dispersed than we were pre-pandemic. And so it's a reality of being able to utilize the tools that we have, the Zooms of the world, and some form of integration and video and those types of things. So I think work has inevitably changed. When we talk about the economy or where companies are going, I'll take the angle of maybe cybersecurity. This is a field that is growing enormously. Just in the U.S. itself, there are 700,000 open positions. That's huge. That means that there are opportunities for people who are starting their career, mid-career, higher-end career, all over. And this is a number that we see extended worldwide. And I think this will continue to grow. There's a lot of automation, but to create automation, you still need people that understand foundationally what's going on. And to be honest, the threat actors will continue to target those enterprises and those areas of business that may seem more ripe for attack. And this will continue to change. So if I think about the opportunity from a career perspective. It's wide open and often people end up in cybersecurity from a different career and then leverage their skills. Some will come in it, you know, at the beginning and grow with it. And those are more um, the individuals who will do threat detection and analysis and SOC work. So security operations center, very tactical work. But there are a lot of business people who realize that they're adding cybersecurity to what they're doing or cybersecurity has been added to their jobs. And this is an area where they have to expand have to add knowledge and do things. I look at this in a very encouraging way. Yes, business may continue to change and we may see a slowdown in the economy 
worldwide, there are large chances that we're looking at a recession, but there are certain types of jobs you still need. And if those seeking to add to their skills add some cybersecurity skills, then they will be stronger in their current position. And so it's a give and take on both sides of the industry. Actually, that's a that's a very different take on it and a very positive take on it, actually, um, because what we're hearing today is you know, this company is laying off and that company is laying off. And there's, like you said, the talk of a big recession hitting the U.S. at least. So that leads me into my next question. I, I liked what you said, but what is the one, let's say, super skill that an employee or someone that's in the corporate world today needs to have to survive, say, if we have a recession? So I will give you three skills. The first okay. one is understanding cloud. So cloud in general, migration to cloud, what that means. The second Second one is um, cybersecurity or information security, which really boils down to protecting data. Third area is privacy. So this is in the focus of data privacy and privacy from a personal information perspective. So if you can tie those three together, and maybe it's not going very deep, but at least a top level of each of the three, then in my opinion, you're employable forever. Because if you take those three, you can now say, oh, I have those and I'm adding data, I'm going deeper. Maybe I do big data. Maybe I do automation. Maybe I do pen testing. These are all components where you really need that foundation in those three types of elements. That is what I would suggest which is to add to any kind of career, those three. So I'll recap, it's cloud, cybersecurity, also known as information security. And the third one is data privacy. I tend to agree, actually, because especially in the post-pandemic world, like you said, a lot of the information is uh, is online, right? Um, mm -hmm. A lot of the work that you're doing is online. And in general, I think you'll be employed forever if, you're, if you are in that field. It's not going anywhere. It will change over the years a little bit, but the foundation is still there. I have a follow-up question, right? So you talk about data privacy and we want personalized recommendation in this day and age where we wouldn't shy away from having our location switched on on this device right so that google is able to give you its nearest recommendation and there's a lot of intelligence that's happening a lot of companies and business because of the intelligence service they provide you for you personalized for you so where is the trade off for the lack of a better word in terms of how much of data privacy should you be entitled to versus you being given the intelligence and personalization that you demand in this digital era and digital age. That's a fantastic way of looking at it. And I'll give you my personal opinion as opposed to a, a company based opinion. Okay, I have one of these as well. And it's my choice to turn on location and or tracking mechanisms for each of the applications that I use. And I tend to turn most of them off. Why? Because I choose to only disclose my information to those companies and those businesses that I wish to do business with continuously. In other words, I wish to share it. Now, I do turn on location when I'm using certain applications to help me. So mapping software or my dog walking software that is tracking me from a health perspective and the number of miles I walk and those types of things. But I only turn it on when I'm using the application. The reality is that 
there is so much data about us that is already available that in some ways we as consumers now have to start diminishing the amount that we share. And a word or maybe a caution, which is if you choose to utilize a whole set of applications that are perhaps a little dodgy or touchy on your phone, they may be sharing information that you never permitted them to share. And that is something to really pay attention to. It's also one of the ways that ransomware enters your phone or your browser. And it's something from a cybersecurity perspective to really pay attention to. So it's fantastic to try you know, the next new shiny application, but just be aware that they may be targeting some of the information and that might actually lead to a problem or use of your identity or perhaps even trying to get into your bank accounts when that's not your original intention. And so how could I say this nicely? Be aware. Um, it's really up to you to control your personal information. And the more you share, then the more you should have an expectation that someone or something is going to try to utilize that information in a nefarious way. Anne's the last person that anyone would want to hack, sounds like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, actually, one of, one of the things that you said made me think about this from an office environment perspective, right? And, and the term that I thought of when you were just talking about was pick your battles, right? That term has actually always been used in just around me, at least. Give us one example of how important, according to you, how important is how important it is to pick your battles and how, how does it help shape your career? And secondly, give us an example of a battle that you chose to fight versus one that you didn't choose to fight, what you learned from from each scenario. So I actually love this term. It's a military term that has been around for centuries. And I believe that it started somewhere in 1100, 1200 years because you had limited resources and you had to pick as an army general where you would put those resources. And today yeah. it's very true as well. And I use a, a very similar term, which is choose which project and where you will put your energy because you can't do everything you have to choose so what is the most important to you what is the most important to your business in my career i've had the opportunity to choose or to determine where i wanted to put energy and activity and focus and one of the large ones was actually around data protection and data privacy. And I chose to create a program and put a lot of energy around it because I knew we had to make a cultural change within that company so that protecting data and protecting privacy was at the forefront and it's everybody's job. And so yeah. part of what I did was create a program from scratch, you know, with the endorsement of my management and the board and, you know, executive leadership to really change the attitudes around protecting data. So it meant not just doing security, it meant change management, it meant marketing, it meant influence, it meant taking time and effort and really teaching people what this meant and what it meant in their everyday job. So it was fairly easy for those of us who are in the cyber realm, but it wasn't as easy talking to people who are in the lines of business, whose job it is to build systems that in their case were very user focused or financially focused. We went across the entire company. So there were all kinds of systems. And once they realized that they're actually participating every day and 
protecting data. It was fantastic. And then they became change champions. And so to make this change, sure, I had the idea. But then I built a team that reported to me. I built a team of change champions. And then I built an even larger team that didn't report to me. It took over 200 people to do this. And so that was a choice. And so if you think back of, yes, I picked where I put my energy, I picked my battles, but I picked them well so that I could succeed. I think that one incident that you just described, I feel like changed the face of what people actually work on. A small decision that you make can really shape what an industry works on. Absolutely. And to take the industry perspective, I've had the advantage in my career of being able to work through many waves of technology evolution. And there are many similarities once you start analyzing the waves in hindsight, where, you know, sure, you can do a Morse curve, which is, you know, the technology adoption cycle. But even more than that, what really happens is a small group of people realize that a technology needs to change or will change. More people get involved and then we really see the big change and now we're on the backside of the change and something new arrives. So to put it in perspective, I was at the early inceptions of email changes. When I was in school, email was only on your mainframe. There was none of this email on a phone. There was none of this email even on a network. And so I was part of that huge change way, way back. Yes, I worked for Microsoft. So we, you know, we changed the universe. Then we were able to make other changes and I did that in other companies. So I worked in changes for PBX systems. So telephony, the whole unified communication systems. Now I work in cloud. And this is, again, another change. So these are large technology changes, large waves. And so one of the things to think about when, when you're looking at a career, which is, where are you on that wave? And where do you want to be on that wave? And so if you're coming in early, it's the opportunity to make big changes, but there are larger risks. If you're coming in sort of in the middle of the wave, so it, you know, it started to go up, then you have the opportunity to work with people who have already started the change and you can learn and be part of it. And if you come into an industry on the very back end of a change where it's starting to diminish, or a new technology is is starting, then realize you may actually have to work in two areas at once. I think what I'm getting out of it is the moment you tell people the incentives to change, they become change actors and they start championing a cause that you initially wanted to, say, deploy for the lack of a better word. But I think a key challenge in product management eventually is, okay, convincing a person about the incentives that comes with him wanting to change to something. So interestingly, I never tried to convince them. I show them what's in it for them. They convince themselves. That's awesome. You really can't get anybody to do something they really don't want to do. And that's contrary (laughs) to to human nature. And so (laughs) that's sort of management 101, which is show them. You know, if you show them and you 
bring something to them and you're cooperating with them, then absolutely they will be doing fantastic things and often more than they thought they were able to do. So I, I want to maybe talk about work hours a little bit. We just spoke about the pandemic and how mm-hmm. it has changed the way that people work. One of the most important things I feel like the pandemic changed is the amount of time that people put into their work. Like people who are working from home, I feel like they put in way more time to their work a lot of them because now you don't have the you don't have the constraints of travel or like you know you don't have the constraints of time like for example I work a nine to five job I'm going to shut my laptop down come back home and you know do whatever at home but that time I think is now elastic you know you can take longer breaks during the day and work later on at night times you know there is this perception that the amount of time that you put into your work directly contributes to how much work you are getting done how do you come that perception that people have. So that's perhaps the second rule of management, which is established goals and measurability. It's not necessarily the amount of hours, at least in what I would call, you know, brain-based work. It's working smart. It's working well. It's being focused and it's doing the right thing and knowing if you're starting to go off track, when to stop. And so somebody who works, let's say 70, 80 hours, at some point at the end of those hours, you really can't be effective anymore because your brain is tired. And so you're much better working on something in smaller spurts throughout the day and being able to, you know, get up, walk around, come back, and you will actually accomplish more in 40 to 50 hours than you will just sitting there and waiting and extending. If there are clear goals and you're really having fun doing what you do for work, then it's not tiring. It is motivational. It's great work. And absolutely, you may choose to put in some extra hours and that helps definitely from a career perspective. But I would also say not to exaggerate because there is a point in time where too much is too much. You actually need that balance. So you have to be able to get outside, take a walk, do some physical activity, do something that regenerates, you know, yourself so that you can come back and really do great work. Yeah, I think sometimes the best medicine is to just let go, go for a walk or grab a cup of coffee, come back and all of a sudden code makes sense because that happens with me. I'm like, why am I not getting this output or why why is in this piece of code doing what it's supposed to do? And then you just go for a stroll, you come back and you're like, oh yeah, I just am stupid because I have an additional bracket that shouldn't have been closed and that's why it's not giving me the result I need. Brackets and commas. And sometimes you have to step away to then be able to read your own code. You just mentioned that being in communication with your manager, right, is Mm -hmm. also important while you're working from home. You know, you've been a manager as well. I want to pick your brain a little bit about management. One of the very tricky situations that a manager can be in is to, you know, be in a position where they're sandwiched between upper management as well as, you know, managing their team. There, there's information that you are allowed to share with your team. There's information that you're not allowed to share with your team. So how can you still make your team 
team believe in the vision of what they need to be working on while also holding back the information that you're not supposed to give them. That can be a very tricky place to be in. So my suggestion is to leverage storytelling. And by storytelling, I mean that you as a manager have the opportunity to paint the picture, tell the story of where your group should go, their direction, how to achieve some of this without disclosing information that they may not be privy to. And what I found is oftentimes I will utilize stories that are not directly related to the work that is right in front of us, but something that the group can relate to. So of course, in you know, in computer science, we've always used the cars and the highways and building houses. I go further afield than that. I will use analogies that are sports-based. I've done offshore sailboat racing for a number of years, which is an extreme team sport. And I will use analogies based on how you get a team to participate and work together on a boat when you don't control what's outside the boat. The weather, the waves, the other people racing against you. You don't control that piece, but you do control what is inside. And so some of these stories that you can tell are how people can cooperate. How can they, they can help each other? How can they back each other up? So if one person's doing work and somebody else is right behind them, how does that work in tandem? And so experiment, you know, see what stories work with your team. And then from there, it's really some of it, the next steps. How should a manager prepare for a performance review? And how should an employee prepare for one? And the second question is, what advice would you give a manager who wants to promote talent over seniority? Let me take the first part of the question. And I'm going to start with the individuals, then I'll go to the managers. Each individual should be prepared for their own review and they should do it throughout the year. What I have been doing for decades, I have a Word document and I put things in it throughout the year. So I will put in successes. I will put in things that were a little more difficult and how I was able to succeed. If somebody sends me an email that says, great job, Anne, we love what you do, it goes in my file. And so that means by the time we get to the annual review as an employee, I'm ready because I understand how I was gonna be measured what it looks like, and I have evidence. Now, as a manager, I do the same thing for my employees. So throughout the year, when there are, you know, smaller or larger things that happen, I start to document them. So I have them in place. So I'm not relying on my memory just at the very end of the year. And I also go out and ask for feedback. So I ask for feedback from teams that they've worked with, other groups, etc., so that I have different insights. So the insight directly of the work that's been done but also when I don't see them. So I'd like to know that the team members are acting with integrity when I'm not there. So how do I verify that? As an example, I ask people, ask their teammates, I ask other groups that they're working with. So that's the preparation. One of the other things, and this goes to some of the input for a manager, annual reviews should not be a surprise. There should have been conversations throughout the year, both on the great things that are happening and elements to improve. And so the manager nor the employer, nobody should be surprised. And that goes to if you're really working on a promotion for somebody's skill set over tenure, which by the way, I think is the way that it should be done. It should be skill sets 
as well as desire to increase and to go do something new. That should be documented. And every company has a process that needs to be followed. But ultimately, it will boil down to the two should be involved, the manager, the employee, and then the process that needs to happen. And often the process means that as a manager, you will have to convince a group of your peers and your direct manager that this person is ready for a promotion. And so you need evidence, you know, real, tangible, as well as anecdotal. And there may be a portion where the reputation of the individual comes into play as well. That is more true when you're in the executive ranks, as opposed to necessarily somebody who's early on in career. But that also counts. You know, if somebody has a reputation of what I'm providing here is very generic. Um, it's It goes to the fact that every single company has some form of promotion process and every company has annual review processes. So you have to work within the methodology that's there. But ultimately, it's about preparation. It means to say that if your manager has truly given you the advice you wanted, both from a positive standpoint and negative standpoint, you more or less know know the direction towards which your performance review will be headed towards? In my opinion, yes. And I will change one of your terms. You, you talked about um, negative input, and I would prefer to reword that as opportunities for growth and opportunities for change. And so if it's in a manner where an individual can actually take action, it's even better. I think what Karthik said as negative input, actually, I like the way that you put it in terms of it being ways to improve. I think that part of a review, for me at least, is more important than the positive part. The po positive part is something that you know that you've done because you've received feedback about it. But I think the part where you can do better and this is how you can do better is sometimes the place where you miss seeing because the third party view on how you can do better, I think is very valuable. Switching gears, right? So you are in a tech strategy role in trying to help organizations work efficiently. Now, industry is moving at a rapid pace. You mm -hmm. work in cloud. Cloud today is no longer cloud tomorrow because that's the level of innovation that's overall going on. <laughs> it is constantly <laughs> changing, yes. <laughs> exactly, right? Like. I know back in the day how easy to was and how easy to is now is like, it's just night and day for me and it's backbones for half of my operation. And I know cloud and technology is overall being pitched in as a pivotal role for a company's innovation to happen around it. How does a company coming to you for advice or to any technology evangelist evaluate it within themselves that, hey, are we ready to take this plunge given where we are with respect to the industry. So what are some factors that you would advise them to be like, okay, maybe these are signs that you should take a plunge or innovate boldly, or that means that you change your processes, you transform overall as a company, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what I would start with first, as any company starts to think about cloud-based technologies is understand where you'd like to be. What's it going to do for you? 
And why would you like to move to the cloud? And then it's a journey. So some companies, especially the new technology companies, have the advantage of being cloud first. So they're not saddled with previous type of technology. They just went in and today were able to build immediately with a whole set of cloud solutions. But if you're a very large company or perhaps a company in the financial services where there's an evolution of your technology over many, many years and decades, then you really need a cloud strategy. And the cloud strategy starts to think about what are your business goals? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? Is this a diminishing cost? Are you trading CapEx for OpEx? Are you reskilling? Are you trying to be bigger, better, faster? Are you trying to serve your customers in a new way? What does this mean to you? So these are some of the components. And then there are also elements of what geography are you in? Are you in multiple geographies? What's your data strategy? What's your privacy strategy? And also, when you're thinking about cloud, it is a shared security model. The infrastructure player, people like AWS, will provide that infrastructure for you. But as a customer, you still have that top layer of the shared security model to think about. How are you going to address that? What does that look like? And that's where we can help you. And so there are people like me who are consulting as part of, in my particular case, I'm focused on security. So security in the cloud, speaking with CISOs and CXOs, about their journey, but also how do they want to implement some of their security controls? What does it look like? What do you receive as part of an infrastructure? And what do you have to think about? And how can we help you on that journey so that you are making the best choices possible for your end customer? And back to that, those sort of three things that we talked about at the very beginning, cloud, cybersecurity, and privacy, those, in my humble opinion, are some of the three critical elements and critical conversations because then the migration just comes along for the ride. Once you understand how you want to get there, it's easy to build you know, the process and the execution to get there. Some people go all in. Some people start slowly. You do proof of concept, make sure it's working, then you do all in. It depends on the business you're in and it depends also on the risk that you're willing to take. And I think, Karthik, one of the other questions that you had sort of wrapped into this, which is how do you think about it in terms of compliance and governance? And what does that mean? So again, it's a shared model. So some of this compliance and governance and risk to so that whole GRC infrastructure, some of it comes with that infrastructure and some of it as part of that shared security model are things where the customer has to determine, for example, what do they need to be compliant to? Are they PCI? Are they HIPAA? Are they GDPR? Or are they California, CCPA? You know, which ones come in? And once they have this whole list, then it's much easier to have that conversation. One of the things that I really took away from your answer is change is brought about and innovation is brought about by need, right? Customer need mm -hmm. and what the customer is asking for. And that need right now, especially in cybersecurity and with data privacy is paramount. There's like, it's increasing every day. So to your point and to Karthik's point, there needs to be constant innovation to meet that need. I get to work in the morning, I'm already late on what happened. <laughs> and so it was an opportunity for me to say, every day I have to learn something. And I feel like, you know, this interview, I've learned so much from you, like even with the very short pointed answers, it's like, wow, okay, I just, okay, that's a great way to answer that question. So um, how would you define success? 
So my personal success is defined by having fun, always pushing my intellectual limits and learning something new absolutely every day. And if I'm doing those three, then I'm happy. That's awesome. And yeah, this was a great interview. And thank you so much for joining us. I think there's a lot to learn, especially in today's world with the recession and everything. People are always talking about negative and how the opportunities are lesser and people are getting let go. But I think this interview will really change that perspective because from what you said, there's a lot to learn and there are a lot of opportunities opportunities out there for people. So Mm -hmm. this is great. Thank you so much. Thanks, Anne. You're quite welcome. Thank you.